Yes, hello folks, welcome to the Weekly Manchester United Podcast. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown. And um, once again, flying solo. Um, Colin is leaving me on red. He doesn't want to talk to me anymore. It must be all that abuse I give him. Um, God knows why he would not do his podcast with me. Uh, but um, anyway, I hope you can stand me rambling for, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. Um, obviously, lots to talk about. Of course, um, you need to get in there. Really, really important one at the weekend against Wolves. Big game coming up this weekend against Bournemouth. A must-win game, of course, after Newcastle winning. Liverpool winning. And uh, that top four race being really, really tight. Would worry if United didn't win this weekend. Um, obviously, what's dominating the headlines, of course, is takeover news. Um, I'm sure, like everyone else, you're completely fed up with it. Certainly, I am. <clears throat> um, other positive news, of course, Garnacho. Scoring at the weekend, coming off the bench, and uh, just a reminder of how much United have missed him and how many goals he scored this season in important moments. Um, change games, I feel like, had he have been available sometime over the last four to six weeks, there's no way we wouldn't have picked up at least another three points. That would make top four safe. We talk about the absence of Lissandra Martinez, which of course is enormous. Uh, he's an irreplaceable defender. The absence of Rashford, because it wasn't just his injury that interrupted his form. So when he came back, which I'm not certain he was ever 100%, as you could see the injury again, he never picked up where he left off. So United lost the only goal score they had in the team, and it showed. Uh, I mean, you look at what happened after Sevilla. One mistake after the other. Um, it cost United in big games. It cost them at home against Sevilla. All five goals against Sevilla were individual mistakes. Of course, Martinez is off injured. And then nervousness comes back into United's defending. The unbelievable mistakes against Spurs, which cost them the game. The unbelievable mistakes away to Brighton, which cost them the game. The unbelievable mistakes away to West Ham, they cost them the game. All individual errors, which is why I don't feel that Ten Hag deserves a lot of criticism, because I don't believe that he had a lot of alternatives in those games that United could have done something different. I don't believe that Ten Hag tactically was found out or preparation was wrong or he got a substitution was wrong. I just think he has a really limited squad. And if you look at United's front line, he's got Martial and Veghorst, neither of whom will get into any top 10 Premier League team, and maybe not any Premier League team at all. So he's got one goal score on the team, and he's out injured. Gets that young kid, Garnacho, back. I mean, you look at Garnacho's numbers in comparison to a lot of other winners in the Premier League. Even winners that cost a lot of money. Garnacho's probably now its second best forward, and I put him ahead of Anthony at the minute in terms of <clears throat> his efficacy. Garnacho, such a huge loss to United. Sorry, I have Invisalign braces in and I'm just taking them out. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think it my mentors right. Anyway, um, let me talk a little bit about the buyout because this is such a nauseating story. And once again, it's a complete illustration of the Glazers' contempt for anything related to Manchester United that doesn't enrich them financially. No respect for the football club and how it's run. No respect for its values. No respect for the people inside the football club. 
no respect for the function of the football club, the manager, the staff, the players, the, the fans, the identity of the club, its preparation for next season. Nothing to them is more important than profit. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. And we've always known this. They have failed in every aspect of their duty of care to United. All United has ever been to them has been a vehicle for profit, for self-enrichment. And that's once again being illustrated. Eric Ten Hag is obviously, I was going to say turn his hair out, but <laughs> um, he's obviously very upset. You don't need to be in the know to know that. That's a logical extrapolation. Because major aspects of the business that need to be executed can't be implemented. One of them, of course, is recruitment. And you can't go out and send players when you don't know who's signing checks. Joel Glazer is now de facto director of football. Well, he no longer has the authority to authorise major transactions. And of course, lots of these deals take months to execute. And when you're going after top players, they have other options. So can you imagine what's going on there right now with these players? I mean, they're getting other clubs coming through with more concrete offers. You need to go in their spots and maybes. Maybe we can do this. Maybe we can do that. And these are very specialised players to fit a very specialised system. So it's not like there's a ton of alternatives for Ten Hag. It's not like, well, if we don't get this player, this one will do, this one will do, this one will do. It's very, very specialised. And so United could end up spending the same as City this summer once a takeover happens, but in a much more chaotic way without it being executed through a process and that's how you end up spending the same city and having nothing to show for it because none of it's related to a coherent implemented strategy and when you look at ten hog he's had two windows at united and both of which were a complete disaster i mean go back to brantford pre-brantford <clears throat> brantford was prior to that he was allowed to send Lissandra Martinez at 55 million. Average cost of Lissandra back in England, you know, 25 million less than Maguire years earlier. So it was relatively cheap centre back. 12 million for Malasia, right? There's not a club in the Premier League that wouldn't pay or can't pay 12 million for a player. So again, pretty average. And a free transfer in Christian Eriksen. So a relatively modest outlay. Um, so he wasn't really supported up until that point. He dipped around over Frankie de Jong and missed out on a striker when they badly need one. Then Brentford happens and you get Casemiro. And uh, they get Anthony, right? And maybe if there's one piece of criticism you could make of Ten Hag, it would be that he should have spent the Anthony money on another striker, a central striker, in my opinion. But you have to remember he had Ronaldo back then. And it wasn't feasible to bench Ronaldo. I mean, you saw what happened when that eventually did happen. It caused major chaos at the club. So I can understand why he thought, okay, we'll stick with this till the end of the season and then address it. No doubt. Then, of course, January comes. You know, they have no money. They have no money to do the bare minimum. They needed a striker. They could score goals in the Premier League. They ended up getting someone from the bottom of the barrel, no disrespect to Vecost, because his attitude's been fine 
um, but it just doesn't have the quality. Um, Marcel Sabitzer, who's probably about as good as you're going to get on a loan free transfer. None of those two players would have came had United have been given money. Certainly Ten Hag been given money. I don't believe United would look the way they would look right now if he had been backed properly. So you're asking a guy to do a job that really is very, very difficult to do in the circumstances because you don't have a proper functioning um, recruitment department, a proper functioning football club that has expertise in all the key areas that you need. I mean, football's like a unified field theory. You have to unify sports science. You have to unify preparation, technique, um, tactics, psychology. You know, you have to unify all these different things and they have to be the best in each department for them to function properly. And when you look at what United have done for years, They've clearly not adhered to anything related to that. You know, you've had a investment banker as a director of football beside his mate Joel Glazer for a decade, which Ken Hag is suffering the consequences of. United's one of United's major issues is squad depth. And it's not just squad depth, it's a mishmash of players that no thought went into signing them. What type of system do they fit? You know, you heard this with Ranick. No, you can't. You can't be a little bit pregnant. You can't play a little bit pressing. If you want to buy players, to, to, if you want to play a certain way, then you have to buy players suited to that system. You know, you never had players last season that were from Van Hal's era, from Ferguson's era, Mourinho. You know, um, all the way through Solskjaer to you know Ranić. You know, he wasn't allowed to buy. In the sense of the Eric Ten Hag is in, is in rough running territory right now. Where he can't buy and he can't sell. You know, if you want to continue to perform that open heart surgery that you need to compete, then the football club has to be run impeccably. And it's not. Absentee landlords that couldn't give the slightest shit about the football outcomes inside the football club. I mean, they would literally hold on to that football club for another six months if they benefited them for an extra five million without a single car in the world. About the long-term damage it would do Manchester United, they just don't care. And this is another reason why they can't be allowed to stay. And let me clarify what I mean by that. An investment company that facilitated them to continue to own the football club would be completely unpalatable to me. Because if the Glazers, let me put it like this, even if the Glazers had managed the football club effectively, even if they'd have managed it with a duty of care, if they'd have come in and said, look, you know what? We know we bought this football club with a leverage buyout. That was wrong, right? We're going to endeavor to pay off that debt as quick as possible. We're going to look after the asset. We're going to invest in the infrastructure. We're going to run it properly so that you have a club to be proud of. I may find them tolerable. I'd probably avert my gears, may not like them, but I could probably put up with them. But I can't find one single good thing to say about them. They haven't brought one thing to this football club that's positive, that United can attribute to them. 
They've exploited everything that was here, prostituted it for their own personal enrichment. And the final insult, of course, is to leave the football club in a disgraceful limbo where it can't function. As it continues down its own total stream and its own death spiral, whilst they squeeze every last penny, wring every last penny out of it, and leave it a crumpled mess. It'll have to be rebuilt. But I think even at this point, the most eternal optimists would think next season is going to be very difficult. You don't catch City by having a two-week window, which is essentially what Ten Hag last, had last season. Every department has to function at its optimal. You have to have the best in the world in every department. And United are nowhere near that. We just have to be honest, as a football club, we're nowhere near that. And that's not an accident, by the way. There's no excuse. There's no reason why United can't be there. There's nothing beyond their financial reach over the last decade to say that there's, that's the reason why they can't be there. I understand why smaller clubs aren't there. They don't have the revenue to, but United did. This is by design. This is because the wrong things were prioritised. This is because the Glazers and Woodward prioritised personal enrichment and great personal cost. Once Ferguson was out of the way, a football club was run. Commensurate with their avarice, with their greed. And like you, I'm desperate to see the back of them. So any investment company that facilitated these parasites to stay would be completely unacceptable to me. Now, if Jim Ratcliffe turns around and buys a football club, buys a majority shareholder in the football club and they remain in an impotent, on paper capacity, where they can't affect the business model of the football club, they can't affect the run of the football club or the culture or its values. It wouldn't be perfect in an absolutist sense, but I could live with it. Now, there's a lot of things about Jim Ratcliffe's bid that needs clarification before I could land my full support behind it. And if fans want to object on the issue of it doesn't clear all the debt, that's a reasonable objection. That's fine. Um, what I don't like is fans objecting solely on the premise that if we get the Qataris, they're going to spend all this money in the transfer market. That just won't happen. United will invest, they have to invest, whether Jim Ratcliffe owns it or whether the Qataris own it. Now, I've put my put my uh, position on record about how I feel about the Qataris, and I'll try to be as fair as possible about this, and balanced as possible. So, my issue with Qataris, or anyone for that matter, is a moral one. It's, I am a father to two daughters. And I'll tell you what I can't understand about City fans. Support your football club all day long. I get that. Because football's a drug and it's hard to give up. But what I don't understand is why they support those people, those owners, human rights abusers, who undeniably victimise their own people more than anyone else. 
And it's not up to you and me to forgive them for that because we aren't the victims. You know, if to put this on a different, a different analogy, if whatever country you're living in listening to this, you are under the rule of a dictator who murdered your family. And he owned an ice hockey team in another part of the world and bought really good ice hockey players. And those ice hockey fans said, I don't really care about what happened to you in your family because he buys good players. What would you think of those people? I guarantee it wouldn't be charitable. Anyone that denies my daughter their agency and equivalency to a man I have a problem with. If my two daughters went to Doha in flouted public decency laws, they'd be arrested and put in prison. I have a problem with that. It would be very difficult for me to go to Old Trafford and pretend that I have no issue with these people who would put my daughters in prison for the most benign crimes. Who would deny them their equivalency. Who would deny them rights. Who would look at them as lesser than a man. I have a problem with that. So for me, I would find it hard to morally lend my support to that. I've spent 18 years virulently opposing the Glazers. Not just on grounds of greed, but on grounds of their moral bankruptcy because of the things that they've done outside of football. I have also been a virulent critic of the Catholic Church for things like denying women access to healthcare in Ireland, my own country putting women in forced labour camps, trafficking children across the world, you know, pedophilia, all these things, right? Burying children on mark graves, horrendous crimes. So there's no safe haven. There's no conditional outrage over this. It doesn't matter who you are. I don't like it. You don't have to like me for saying that because maybe you want the Qataris really badly for selfish reasons or whatever reasons. I don't really care because that's how I feel. Now, what I would also say added to that, gay rights, for example, are a relatively new one civil liberty in the West. And still, there's no equivalency for them. I live in a country that has had multiple shootings, mass shootings in gay nightclubs. We have to confront that when the World Cup is here in 2026. The violation of civil liberties. Systemic inequality, which undeniably exists. It's a legacy from previous generations, undeniably. These are all fair game, fair points. In the West, you, for example, in England, the UK, they want to remove themselves from the European Court of Human Rights so they can treat migrants abhorrently. You may think I'm on my soapbox proselytizing here and you're right. If you, if you want to have an issue with me, that's entirely up to you. But these are issues that matter to me about how other human beings are treated and what type of equivalency they're given. These are a ranking based on your gender, your ethnicity, your religion, your nationality. Anyone that rates human beings based on those factors, I have a problem with. 
And I can understand why Newcastle and City fans don't criticise their owners. Because they know for a fact that their success is a direct consequence of their investment. I mean, we have before and afters. We know what City and Newcastle look like before investment. And we know what they look like after. United fans don't need that. There's nothing a state-run football club or state-run ownership can bring us that we don't already have or had. Nor will it result in Mbappe every year and everyone else. And nor do I want it. I had Jonathan Johnson on my podcast the other day from CBS Galazzo, who's also a French football correspondent. And I was asking him about the Qatari ownership of PSG. I also asked about the uh, Jim Radcliffe ownership of Nice. He was complimentary, but neither, to be fair. But one of the things he said that made my ears prick up about the PSG fans was the fact that they've taken a lot of emotion out of it, the sport and merit out of it. Where it's becoming a bit boring now. And a lot of fans long for the way it was. See the sugar highs of being of band players wears off quickly. It's a substance that lasts. And culture matters. I don't want to see United abandon a culture of playing a youth player in their first team. Not that, that's something that matters to me. Maybe it doesn't to you. Some people support a team, some people support a club. I support a club. That means the values and the culture of the football club matter to me. So, I would say that whilst it is true, absolutely undeniable, that there's many human rights violations in the West. If Manchester are owned by somebody who's the direct author of those human rights in the West, and those violations, I have a moral objection to them. These conversations are impossible to have on Twitter because it's just not a platform designed for nuance. And people take the most uncharitable interpretation of your words and then it results in a deluge of insults. I've also raised the issue of Jim Ratcliffe's greenwashing. Um, environmental issues that undeniably affect people at the bottom far worse than they do with people at the top. It's unsustainable. It's a threat to human existence. And nor should it be dismissed. Uh, his ownership of Nice has not been great. Um, and there is legitimate concerns about how he would run Manchester United and why he wants it. Because this is a question that both owners have to answer for me. Why do you want this? We had hints in the bid statements about why. And we see strategic leaks coming out about Qatari saying they're going to invest in Old Trafford, they're going to invest in the infrastructure, they're going to invest in the team. Of course, this is not designed for glazer ears, it's designed for fans' ears, for years of mine. Glazer's calling Kerr if you turned it into a car park after you bought it. Once the check clears, they don't care. And Jim Ratcliffe, of course, used certain language like custodians of the football club, restoring it back to its best and for a community asset and everything else. And then they were quickly gagged by the Blazers. Um, whoever gets preferred better status, I would sincerely hope what's on their agenda is in a meeting with fan groups to discuss exactly what their plan is. I would like to believe that either of the potential new owners would learn from the mistakes of the past and appoint 
perhaps a representative from fan groups onto your board that's has consult uh, is consulted when it comes to matters related to the football club that affect fans. Ticket prices, you know, lots of different things that affect fans. The fans you have a say on. They like to believe because to me, when you talk about community asset or restoring it to former glories or, or, or rooting it back in its community, you can only do that by bringing on fan groups and putting them on a board and having them in a legitimate consultancy role that allows them to have a say on how the football club is run. I sincerely hope whoever buys the football club that is done. Um, what I will say is if the football club gets bought by the Qataris, I'm not going to turn around and say I will not support Manchester United anymore. I, I, I cannot be realistic. But what I won't do is spend a single day defending some of the human rights abuses that they perpetuate. Not one. And I don't understand why City fans do it. Um, you can dislike me for that. That's entirely up to you. Um, anyway, uh, as you can imagine, this limbo is extremely upsetting Derek Ten Hag. Um, this is a guy that's highly detail-orientated, consummate professional, um, doesn't do anything on a whim. Has everything planned out to a precise detail. Has done an absolutely outstanding job first season. And isn't the guy United fans should be complacent about keeping? The type of guy, and I know the Dutch, my father-in-law is from Amsterdam, and I can tell you, nothing perturbs them more than details that are not executed. They're very, I'm not saying prime national stereotypes here, obviously some are different, but there's some cultural traits that are consistent amongst the majority and they're very, very precise, detail-orientated. And they don't like deviation from that because they trust their methods. If United become a circus, they will not get to keep Ten Hag. I've read things like, they've looked at strikers like Harry Kane, like Osman. Um, but the 100 million scaring them off, so neither lower on their targets to someone like Brian Brobby. No disrespect to Brian Brobby, but if that ends up being United's main striker, Ten Hag won't last next season. How can you compete with Erling Haaland with Brian Brobby? That to me would be an admission, a, a surrender, that there's no longer a football club interested in competing at the very top. That we have become an Arsenal, the Arsenal that we used to mock, whose only objective was to finish in the top four. I would sincerely hope whoever buys a football club does not have that as their goal. I'm deeply concerned about United's recruitment this summer, not just players coming in, but players going out. The uncertainty over their future, the staff at the football club, this is excruciating for them especially the senior staff that are in key positions at the football club, because they're the first ones to go when the business gets bought. Do they leave? They're hit, getting hit up by other clubs. United would feel their loss if they went. Do they stay? Imagine the uncertainty that they're living with every single day. Most of them are not independently wealthy. They have families, they have mortgages, cars, bills, just like you and me. 
You know, they have to prepare for a tour. They don't even know who's going on it. I mean, it's just an absolute disgrace what the Glazers are doing. Absolute disgrace. Linked with Adrian Rabio. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. Adrian Rabio's not a bad player. I was also reading that Real Madrid were looking at Mbappe and Bellingham. That's the standard. When you're calling yourself the biggest football club in the world, you have to behave like it. I'm not saying that you're saying Mbappe. But Jude Bellingham and Erling Haaland could have been United players with just a little bit more competence. The consequences of incompetence are right in front of our eyes. Um, when you look at the quality of a Real Madrid or a Man City, to compete with that, you have to buy top players. You can't buy Marcel Sabitzer and Adrian Rabio. You can do it to fill out your squad, but they're not going to get you an inch closer to Man City. You need to buy top players. I like Alexis McAllister, which so does Ten Hag. He can play in the pivot, he can play in an advanced role. For about 16 million, I think he'd be a good player for United. Caicedo will probably go to Arsenal. But even with the Alexis McAllister situation, United are now behind in that because Liverpool have obviously moved ahead because they can make promises United can't. And if you're falling behind the Alexis McAllister race, imagine what's behind that. Because all the other top players are being targeted by clubs that have their shit together. They aren't deliberating, they aren't doing that. Declan Rice, if United are struggling to pay 100 million for a striker, they're not paying 120 million for Declan Rice. There's about six or seven players at least that need to be sold. United can't even put a price on those players yet. The clubs that would potentially want to buy them will now start looking at other targets. So now you're forced to loan them out again. No one else wants it. Doesn't help you with FFP when you're doing another loan. Extremely, extremely concerning. Um, big game this weekend away to Bournemouth. It is, like I said, a must-win game for United. We have to win. Uh, United don't win that game against Bournemouth. And if they throw the top four away now, they don't deserve top four. Uh, I think they will get three points this weekend. I think it'll help them that they beat Wolves 2-0 with Martial and Garnacho scoring, getting goals outside of Riceford, keeping a clean sheet. And, um, you know, there's obviously the situation with David De Gea where a lot of people want to see David leave, and I can understand that. And eventually, you know, they do need to replace him. I don't think they'll replace him this summer because I think they have more pressing needs. There's only so far the budget will get stressed. But they have to get over this line. Um... I think they need two more wins. I think um, they'll probably beat Fulham at home. I would imagine Chelsea are obviously there for the taking. Um, they'll need to beat Bournemouth. What would concern me is if they lost to Bournemouth this weekend. Because those two games become so much harder. Those Chelsea and Fulham games become so much harder if they don't win. The pressure will be intense. Unbelievable. Nerves creeping. That seeps its way in their dressing room. You know, so... Really, really important. You know, get three points this weekend against Bournemouth. Like I said, I think they will. Um, and uh, here's the thing. If Ten Hag finishes top four with the Carabao Cup, it's a fantastic season. 
if he finishes outside the top four, it completely redefines that Carabao Cup to meaningless. Let's have it right. As difficult as it is to admit this, we're dreading the cup final. I'm dreading the cup final. I don't have a lot of high hopes, to be honest. What would worry me is United could put another gutless performance and get hit for six. Because the quality gap is big. And City, let's be honest, are going to have the double wrapped up by then. They'll be desperate to beat United to win the treble. United should be desperate to beat them to stop them. But the problem is, I don't think this is an aspiration or perspiration issue. This is about quality. That United just don't have. You can't go into that game losing. I know United beat City at home without Lissandra Martinez, but on a neutral ground like Wembley, I'd worry, really worry. Um, if United are sitting in top four with Carabao Cup, they can go into that game relaxed and go, I'd still like to see them beat City, but it won't define their season. Three tro two trophies, top four, would be an unbelievable season. But once again, you're left in the situation is how do you build from that? You know, if you look at the last time United finished in the top four, Solskjaer finished second, Mourinho finished second, both of them were sacked the following season because of recruitment decisions. So it's really, really concerning. And once again, United can't get it their own way, their incompetence. The business model of the football club being used solely for the self-enrichment of these five siblings, which is just repugnant to me once again getting in the way of its progress and until we get these people out of this football club we will never make progress it'll always be this it'll always be scraping top four scraping the, the trophy that no one else takes serious but the league the champions league the defined top club season you know a million miles away from winning stuff like that even if ten Hag gets five signings this summer to me you're still looking at at least another year before United can realistically challenge. I don't see United having the consistency next season to realistically challenge. They should be comfortable within top four. They should be within 10 points of the leaders next season if Ten Hag gets the signings. But when we when United only need to make one or two signings in the summer, that's when we know we're already. That would be next season, hopefully, when they just need a goalkeeper and maybe another Another player somewhere else depends on how the season evolves. Anyway, folks, I'll go ahead and leave it there. I hope this wasn't an incoherent mess like the last one was. It was all over the place looking for car keys. <laughs> um, I hope you are all doing well. Thank you for the follows, likes, retweets, everything else, for all the engagement. Much appreciated. Sorry this podcast has taken so long to get out. Um, I hope you're doing good. I hope your mental health is well, your physical health is well. And I appreciate everything. And hopefully by the next time I record, you know, they've got another three points on front Bournemouth this weekend. And um, we can look forward to the game on Thursday, I think it is, against Chelsea. Um, and by the end of next week, we, didn't, we will know whether they're in the Champions League or not. We shall see. And hopefully by then, we also know who has preferred better status. As I said before, any of us are extremely confident that they are going to get that. Um, that's what they've been told. And um, they've been already making moves behind the scenes based on that becoming a reality but confidence is not certainty and so we shall see 
like a transfer rumour, the CLS football club was dragged out tediously um, until none of us can take any more um, 11th hour bids. <laughs> All right, folks, take it easy.